good people it's your boy caesar here and this is an episode of the hybrid club hope all is good you know where to find us on the socials at the hybrid club and you know where to find me at c says c-e-a-s-e-s-a-y-y-s what's good people is it safe to come out from cover are we are we good have people calmed down are we a little more sanguine today are we feeling a little more relaxed have you all survived the meltdown that was Arsenal Twitter yesterday because I cannot believe for a second some of the things I was seeing the online reaction to some of the Arsenal transfer news yesterday was absolutely absurd I mean genuinely absurd listen I get it you know this is a side that was weeks away from potentially winning a Premier League the first time in 20 years you know, the closest we've got to the likes of Man City and everyone else in I don't know how long. So people wanted Arsenal to move quickly to close that gap and to potentially overtake City, knowing the City are going to lose some key pieces themselves. In the first few days of the window, Arsenal make multiple bids for Declan Rice, bid for Havertz, bid for Jury and Timber, discuss negotiations about Lavia, four potential transfers worked on simultaneously in the first few days of windows which no doubt would have been prepped weeks weeks before the window even opened despite that news that manchester city would enter the race for declan rice sent arsenal twitter into absolute meltdown not a bid not an offer accepted not Declan Rice potentially heading to Manchester for a medical. News that Manchester City are interested in making a bid sent Arsenal Twitter into meltdown. What? I mean, you are talking about a transfer to negotiate for what would be the most expensive midfielder in English history. If enough parties get involved in negotiations, a player who could become the most expensive midfielder in the world ever and somehow some Arsenal fans thought that Arsenal would have a free run at this player that no one else would be keeping tabs on him despite the fact that every top team in this country and some of the best teams in Europe need to work on rebuilding their midfield Liverpool need a new midfield Arsenal need a new midfield Man City need a new midfield Manchester United need to rebuild their midfield Tottenham definitely need a better midfield All of these teams need a new midfield. Madrid, looking for a new midfielder. Barcelona, just signed a new midfielder. Bayern Munich, looking at potential new midfielders. All of these teams need new midfielders. But we thought we'd have a free run at arguably, bar maybe Bellingham Bellingham and Gundogan, bar those two players, the best midfielder on the market in Europe. We thought we'd have a free run at that. Now, I understand the initial feeling when you see that Man City are in for Declan Rice. 
I get that, particularly after seeing two bids knocked back. And when you hear the reports as to why the bids were not backed, which obviously would have been briefed by West Ham, and by the way, West Ham are doing nothing wrong. It's it's they're entirely within their right to play the long game here to try and drag out drag this out for as long as possible to get as much money as possible. They absolutely should. It's not often you get you know a player like Declan Rice who's done what he's done for that club, who you can then sell for an obscene amount of money because it's going to cost him an obscene amount of money to replace Declan Rice. So they need to get as much from as possible. So they're not doing anything wrong. But I just find it strange that people would be so so vehemently upset that West Ham would turn down two bids amounting to £90 million plus, considering that they know uh, Man City would have been interested. We know that they know Man City would have been interested because the Man City interest in Declan Rice is not new. Despite what you might think, it has previously been reported that Man City were interested in Declan Rice. It's become abundantly clear in the last couple of weeks. Man City's interest in Declan Rice directly linked to whether or not Gundogan would go to Barcelona or Arsenal or somewhere else. Now, think about this logically. If West Ham know Man City's interest is connected to Gundogan, and they would because we all do, they know that any interest in Declan Rice is going to lead to an increased transfer um, transfer salary for them if Man City enter the race. So what do you do if you're West Ham? Maybe, regardless of the bid you get, unless the bid is obscene, 150, 160 million, unless you're getting a bid like that, what you probably do is hold off until Man City told you what they're doing. And surprise, surprise, the reports that Man City were going in for Declan Rice emerged publicly after Gundogan decided to go to Barcelona. So West Ham reject two bids from Arsenal, hold off until they hear from Man City, Man City say, we're interested in Declan Rice, and boom, West Ham get the bidding what they want. I don't see how that's Arsenal's fault. The only thing you can say about Arsenal in this situation is, would they have been able to convince West Ham to accept the offer if they'd gone in a hundred million from the beginning, could they have convinced West Ham to accept the offer and then, you know, um, try to negotiate with Declan Rice quickly? Maybe, but you know, if you were selling your house and you know that there were two people interested in buying your house and you knew that you could get more money for selling your house, if more than one person, you know, put in an offer, and you weren't in a rush to sell your house, what would you do? Would you just accept the first offer that came in because it was decent? Or would you wait for the other people to make their offer if you knew it might potentially come? If they said to you, we'll definitely be able to tell you in a couple of weeks. You might just wait a couple of weeks. You know, same if you're selling your car. If if you're not in a rush, it'd be different if you were in a rush. But if you're not in a rush, you probably just wait a couple of weeks, see what the other offer's saying. So I just, I don't see what Arsenal could have done differently in that scenario. It's not football manager. It's not FIFA. It's not a case that Arsenal pay a hundred million and West Ham accept. And not to mention, you know, we're talking about the terms. West Ham think that it's more likely that Man City win the Premier League and Champions League, obviously. So they see those add-ons as being more achievable. Fair enough. They want the, you know, hundred million, 75 million, whatever it is, paid in two installments. Arsenal still have installments to pay for players they bought previously, 
back when Arsenal didn't have Champions League football. So we can't overcommit to future payments without, you know, risking, you know, jeopardizing not making payments for financial commitments we've made. Because obviously amortization, bids we made for previous players, we pay over years. So without turning into an accountant here, the club can't, you know, put itself in financial jeopardy to sign one player. You just can't do that. You've got to pay your debts. So again, I don't see how you can blame Arsenal for not agreeing to pay, you know, £90 million over two years. We're talking about signing Declan Rice up to a long-term contract, five, six years. You would ordinarily pay that transfer fee over five, six years, four minimum. So I don't see how you can blame Arsenal for not wanting to give them, you know, £50 million over the course of, you know, one year and then another £50 million the next year. Same people mad about that would be mad if next season we didn't get the player we wanted because we couldn't afford £50 million. Then you'd say Arsenal were cheaping out. So I just, I think we have to be sensible here. Like, I get it. If I'm seeing tweets from, you know, 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds, 18-year-olds, I get it. You know, when I was 18, I wasn't thinking about, you know, amortization, right? But I can't be seeing grown men, grown women. I can't be seeing full-blown adults losing it absolutely losing it going apoplectic calling for edu's head because the club won't overcommit financially i just i don't get it now look i'm going to say something that people might not want to hear declan rice is not worth 100 million pounds he's not 100 million pounds is a ridiculous amount of money he's not worth it but in today's market that is what you have to pay to get a player of the quality of declan rice so it's not that he's actually worth 100 million, that's just what you have to pay and therefore his value has risen to 100 million. So anything we pay to sign Declan Rice is over what the player is probably actually worth because let's not forget, we're talking about a record transfer fee. Grealish actually did well for Man City and Man City were getting roasted saying he wasn't worth it until probably the second half of this season when he really clicked into gear. Now, if you ask me, 100 million spent by, spent by Man City on Jack Grealish yeah, they've got a £100 million player on their hands. We got ourselves a £72 million Nicola Pepe. He wasn't worth £72 million. We all know the reasons why we ended up having to pay £72 million. And we all know that part of the reason, you know, some of the people responsible for that are no longer here. If you buy a player for that kind of money and they don't bang, people will remind you how much you paid for that player. Other teams will remind you what you paid for that player. You will be held to that kind of um, that kind of pay, that kind of salary for future prospects, right? Look at it from look at it from the Mudrick perspective. I see people talk about Mudrick, Vlavic, and Caicedo all the time, right? Because Man United paid what they paid for Anthony, Chelsea had to pay what they paid for Mudrick. Shakhtar directly quoted Anthony when. Um, negotiating the fee for Mudrick. We said no to Mudrick because we wouldn't pay that fee. We didn't get hijacked by Chelsea. We refused to pay the fee the Shakhtar wanted. We never had an offer accepted. And if you look at it now, despite Mudrick's clear and obvious potential, I don't think there's anyone who'd sit here now and say we should have paid the money Shakhtar wanted for, for Mudrick. No way. People talk about Vlavic. Vlavic's own representatives and he himself have said didn't speak to Arsenal, didn't pick up the phone. So we didn't get hijacked for Lavic. They didn't speak to us. 
Vlahovic only wanted Juventus. Done. People talk about Rafinha. Deco, Rafinha's agent. Eddie called him up, said he's available. He said Rafinha wants Barcelona. But if anything changes, we'll let you know. Eddie hung up the phone. Said it himself. Same thing that Deco said, same thing Rafinha said. Only wanted Barcelona. Didn't get hijacked for the Rafinha deal. He didn't want to come here. He only wanted to go to Barcelona. Caicedo. Didn't get hijacked for the Caicedo deal. Brighton did not want to lose Caicedo in January. They signed a deal with him, made an agreement, we'll let you go in the summer. Caicedo deal not hijacked, Arsenal turned their attentions elsewhere because the prospect of buying Havertz, Rice and Caicedo, too rich for our blood. Did not get hijacked for Caicedo. So this idea that Arsenal constantly get hijacked or can't get big deals done, half of the people that you know people refer to when they say that, we either didn't bid for, or they weren't interested in coming in the first place because they only had somewhere else on their mind. So I think we really have to gain some perspective about what is actually happening and not just losing our minds because of the phrasing and the way things are reported. Also, I think it, it, it also we need to remember that we get information drip fed to us by a lot of these big accounts and some of these transfer accounts and to a lesser extent these days, some of the ITKs. Um, the reason I mention that is because it then makes it seem as though Arsenal are being ponderous. Yeah, Arsenal make a bid. Arsenal still waiting. Arsenal still deciding. This, And you're sat there going, what are they waiting for? What are they still deciding? Why aren't they doing something? Relax. Tranquilo. Calmate. You need to relax. Here's what I'm saying. If Arsenal, you know, go look at the numbers, decide a deal that works, they contact um, Stan and Josh, KSC. They say, this is what we want to do. They go wait for KSC to get back to them. KSC get back to them and say, yep, okay, go for it. Right. Arsenal then put together the package, the offer, email it over. Maybe they make a phone call and say, we're sending an offer your way. Tell us what you think. West Ham then get the offer. They go back. They, their execs look at it. You know, maybe go speak to the player, the player's representatives. Speak to, some, you know, the manager. Talk to the owners come back, send an email. Arsenal may not be sitting around doing nothing. There's a period of time where Arsenal sit down waiting to hear back from West Ham. Maybe in that time, West Ham have given Man City a call and said, look, this is what they're saying. It's not good enough. We want this. Let us know when you're ready. And then when we come back, we've got to think about what they've said before we then put together our next package, then go speak to the owners, come back. Do you, do you get my point? Think about your day job. How often... Is it might, might it be a few days between an initial email and then, you know, whatever project or thing you're working on moving forward. There might be three, four, five people you have to speak to before you can move it forward. It doesn't mean you're sat there doing nothing. It means that different people involved in this process have to do something before it moves on to the next stage. Should you be fired if an email you got sent isn't actioned within six hours? No. You'd think it was ridiculous if someone called for you to lose your job because something wasn't actually within a few hours of an email being sent. People need to calm down and think about this in the real world. This isn't football manager. You don't just get an offer sent in and it's immediately rejected. It takes time for these things to happen. So, you know, for me, I think it's a bit silly. I get that some people were expecting to see Declan Rice in an Arsenal shirt within 48 hours of West Ham winning the Europa uh, Conference League. I get that. But that was never going to be the case. Not for a £100 million player. Not going to happen. Please, by all means, if you can tell me the time when a £100 million player 
had a transfer wrapped up easily with no delays, I want to hear it. Bellingham, Liverpool, United, City, Madrid were talking to Bellingham for years before this deal got done. These clubs were in contact with Bellingham for at least two years before this deal got done this summer. Let's make that clear. Jack Grealish, probably the only one, but who else was in for him? Who else was in for Jack Grealish? No one. The moment Man City were going to pay 100 million, no one came close to offering that. Even Man City, when they wanted Cristiano Ronaldo, wasn't expensive from a transfer fee point of view, but from a wage packet and overall package point of view, a pretty hefty deal. When Man City came for him, they thought they'd have a free run at him. Then Sir, a- Sir Alex Ferguson gets on the phone, calls Ronaldo, suddenly he's in he's in Manchester. Man City will feel like they dodged a bullet. As much money, money as Man City have, they wanted Harry Kane. Spurs told them the number. Man City, Man City said, fuck you very much, we're not paying that. These big deals do not go as simply as you might want them to. The only way they do is if the player only wants to come to you. The difficulty we have is that while the reporting suggests Declan Rice only wanted to come to Arsenal, we don't know the context of some of that reporting. For example, Declan Rice might have only wanted to come to Arsenal if Arsenal were the only team got a bid. And at that point, while City may have been in contact with him to say we're interested, they may have said, we're interested, but we'll probably only bid if we lose Gundogan. So at that point, Gundogan's still a City, it's not an option. The moment he leaves and they say, we're going to bid and we're interested, maybe Declan Rice has more choice now. Do you see what I'm trying to say? It's all about the phrasing and the wording. We get particular phrasing and particular wording from journalists reporting because one, they have to you know get clicks to sell papers. And two, because they're being briefed by agents, family, clubs who want the public to think a certain thing either to get support on their side or to undermine the opposite you know the the opposition on the other side of the negotiation or to just put pressure on the matter to get the deal done in, in their favor so it's something we have to remember man city have been in a position where they've won the treble the Premier League, the FA Cup, the Champions League. They've won the Champions League after seven years. The project has clicked. They've got Erling Haaland. I think he finished the season with something like 57 goals in all comps, um, club and country. Outrageous season. We pushed them nearly all the way. They didn't actually win the league until the penultimate game of the season. Despite how it felt, despite what happened, it was only on the penultimate game of the season that they actually won the league. The reason I mention that is because they are currently the best team in the world. We can't deny that. As much as we might hate it, it's the reality. They're in a position to consolidate that success by adding the best midfielder in Europe currently on the market. And they can do that while ensuring the team closest to challenging them does not get that player. So Man City can make themselves better by adding Declan Rice to their midfield and also taking him away from Arsenal's midfield, which would bridge the gap even further. Now, I I try not to be hyperbolic about these things, but I do think if you take the Man City team as it is now and as it has been playing and you add Declan Rice to it, and it means that Arsenal can't get Declan Rice or potentially can't get a Caicedo, I think the gap becomes cavernous you know grand canyon cavernous i i think arsenal would have to pull out an exceptionally 
exceptionally high quality transfer in midfield to close that gap. If you have, if you look at the way the likes of Ake and Stones and Ruben Diaz and Rodri and De Bruyne, Foden, Haaland, if you look at how they were playing last season and you add Declan Rice to that midfield as well, look at how John Stones was stepping into midfield. You're telling me that you could have John Stones stepping into midfield like that, Rodri, Declan Rice, Diaz, De Bruyne and Haaland all in the same team with Edison being able to ping balls left, right and centre. I mean, you're going to struggle to find any team in the country, particularly when every other team in the country is in a rebuild. You're going to struggle to find any country, uh, any club in the country who's going to compete with that. You know, it's 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 obscene. Now, of course, if we were to be able to get Declan Rice, and then there's still the question of what happens with some of our other targets, Havertz, Lavia, um, you know, outgoings like Shaka and Partey. We, it remains to be seen what happens there. But adding Declan Rice to our midfield closes that gap, depending on what Man City do in their midfield. Because again, obviously, they could go out and pull some superstar signing out of nowhere that no one could even consider. You know, They can go out themselves, get themselves a Joshua Kimmich or something like that. If City want Declan Rice, they can outbid us for him and they can offer him more money. They're the treble winners and he can get to work with Pep Guardiola, who is arguably the best manager of his generation. And I say arguably, even though he kind of is. One of the greatest of all time. He will go, by the time he ends his career, he could go down as the greatest of all time. That would not be hyperbolic to say. It's entirely within reason he could possibly do that. We get Declan Rice if he wants to play for Arsenal. It's as simple as that. And it's a tough sell because Arteta would have to sell him on his importance to Arsenal and the possibilities of this project versus walking into Man City, working with Pep Guardiola on more money, guaranteed trophies. You know, we haven't won a trophy in three years. We haven't won a Premier League title in 20. Never won a Champions League. They've just won Premier League, FA Cup, Champions League, Pep Guardiola, more money. So, yeah. We've clearly been putting our putting our work in to, to get the Declan Rice transfer done from, you know, January last year and earlier. But they can outbid us if they want. All the, all the reliable reporting suggests, despite the fact that Man City would clearly have been in contact with Declan Rice during this period, all reliable reporting suggests he wants to come to Arsenal and we are the favourites. So that would at least suggest that we've got a good shot. However, for me, the point still remains, it's all well and good having conversations, it's all well and good talking, it's all well and good forming relationships and bonds, but football is a business. And Declan Rice has a family. He has a career and a family. You know, it's a bit like Harry Kane, um, a bit like Jack Grealish. Players at the end of it, when they look back on their career, they want to see what they achieved. Now, Harry Kane should have left Spurs six years ago, five years ago, four at a minimum. The reasons he's still there is because him and his brother decided to sign a long-term contract with Spurs just as the Pochettino era was falling apart. They should have held off. They should have held off, let him run down his contract and see where the project was going. They didn't. 
Grealish didn't make that mistake. Declan Rice isn't making that mistake. So for someone like Declan Rice, he wants to be able to, by the end of his career, have won the Premier League, won the Champions League, you know, won multiple FA Cups. He wants to have been able to leave a legacy. Look at what John Henderson did for Liverpool. Declan Rice would look at John Henderson and say, that's the blueprint. I want to be able to go and done that. So Arsenal have to be able to, in, as so, insofar as is possible, guarantee him that. Against this Man City side, that's a tough sell. I, it's not great for Arsenal if they don't if they if they don't get Declan Rice if they miss out. Far from not being great, it would be pretty catastrophic to Arsenal's transfer plans if they were to miss out on Declan Rice. With the way we play football and the way we think Mikel Arteta wants to play football moving forward, you know understanding, being knowledgeable and being cognizant cognizant of the fact that Arteta will probably evolve the style of football and the roles might slightly change. Being aware of all of that, to play football in midfield for Mikel Arteta's system, you have to be exceptional. The seasons we finished eighth, the season we finished fifth, you saw what happened when we weren't able to play exceptional midfield football when we didn't have someone exceptional playing in that space in that area to a high standard week in week out and last season season just gone you saw what it looked like when we had players in those positions playing to an incredibly high standard you saw the difference with your own eyes city will get better so we need to not only get better we need to level what we did last year so we need someone who can level what we did last year and it will look bad, optics-wise, Arsenal brand-wise, it will look bad if Arsenal cannot sign a player who everybody and their mum, the entire world knows we've been trying to secure since last January. It will look bad. It will dent their chances of signing other players. It will dent you know, the enthusiasm and excitement about the Arteta project. It will. But all of that, is contingent on what happens if Arsenal don't get the player. Now, there's still every possibility that Arsenal do. But if Arsenal don't, but they're able to secure another player, a Caicedo, or another player who's exceptionally talented, who none of us are thinking about right now, if Arsenal are able to do that, people might look at this transfer window differently. Now, for me personally, and we'll go to talk about players like um, Partey and whatever later, but... I don't think Partey goes anywhere if Arsenal can't get a Declan Rice, a Caicedo or someone of that ilk. I don't think Partey goes anywhere. But as I said, we need to do better than last year. So we need to add more. So I'll be curious to see what the plan is there if we aren't able to get Declan Rice. But to be honest, I'd rather not find out. I'd rather just get the player. Getting Rice against competition like Man City, United would really show show the strength of the Arteta project and I think while it's not about optics in the sense of ultimately it's about winning football matches part of the reason that people joined you know Arsenal in the last couple of years is the project they spoke to Arteta they saw the vision right clubs were interested in Jesus including Chelsea came to Arsenal clubs were interested in Ben White Erdegaard they came to Arsenal right Havertz convinced by Arteta to join Arsenal. However you feel about that transfer, 
That is, by all counts, by all reporting, it was Arteta who convinced him, this is the project, I can help you explode. So I do think there is a degree to which we need to get transfers like this over the line to show that we are the employer of choice, that we are the place you want to be at this stage. Because, you know, we've signed up players like Saka, Martinelli, Erdegaard, um, I think Erdegaard to come, should I say, Ramsdale signed, obviously Saliba imminent. Look, we've signed up those players. We have three or four years to get these players to win things, big trophies. If they don't, we will lose some of these players and have to start this project again. One thing people forget about Project Youth is part of the reason Project Youth never worked is because we could never stabilize the squad. Whenever Project Youth started to hit an apex, we'd lose key components, multiple. Lost Fabregas and Nazri in one summer. You know, every time the project would build, we'd lose key players. You know, we lost Henri, you know, I think after the first season at the Emirates. You know, like I said, lost Nazri, Fabregas, Adebayor. You know, play, he didn't play much, but went on to have a good career. Lasana, Diaro in midfield. Players like Flamini went to AC Milan before coming back. Um, you know, he won a Champions League at AC Milan. We obviously know what Fab, Fabregas went on to do. We had the buyback clause, didn't didn't in, initiate it. He went on to, you know, go win the league with, with Chelsea. RVP left. So on and so on and so on. If we go these next few years, don't win any big trophies, we could see the likes of Saka, Martinelli, Saliba go. And suddenly you've got to replace these key components with players as good, if not better, and then go again, reintegrate them and go again. And by that point, you could be losing Odegaard, Jesus, Zinchenko. Suddenly you've got to replace them, go again. Then you could be losing Gabriel, Ramsdale, Ben White. Suddenly you've got to replace them and go again. You see the problem. These players, this project has to bang in the next few years. So we need those key components now. And this is the same for Arteta and Edu. Right now, their futures are somewhat interlinked. They technically shouldn't be, as Edu, technical director, should be overseeing the sporting project. And so, realistically, you know, if Arteta isn't doing it one day, Edu has to be the one to speak to Tim Lewis and KSC and pull the trigger. The reason I say that is because ultimately, you know, Arsenal have three years or so for this project to bang, to win trophies. Otherwise, Arsenal are losing key players and having to rebuild, and we know how that goes. Liverpool are in a rebuild at the moment, and we saw how this most recent season went because they took too long to do their rebuild, and now they're having to rush it because otherwise they're going to get left further behind. So we'll see what happens. You know, Getting Rice against competition like City and to a lesser extent United is really going to show some strength in the Arteta project, but he's got to get the deal done. Now, if Arsenal aren't able to do it, you imagine Arsenal's summer transfer plans change quite significantly. You know, would there be time to go in and try and get Caicedo done? Bit dicey. Would we have a look at alternatives? Maybe someone like a grabbing batch from uh, Bayern Munich, someone like that. Remains to be seen. Um, I do think the reaction to all of this, though, does expose sort of an underbelly of Edu out and Arteta out. 
groups online that have just sort of been simmering under the surface, looking for any moment to jump out and just pounce. And it's a shame, really. Um, You know, this Arsenal team, the coaches, the manager, the execs, have taken us from eighth to fifth to being weeks away from potentially winning our first league title in 20 years. And this is against the best side in the world with a striker who's bagged 57 goals in all comps. They're not going to get everything right. Um, but they've got more right than wrong, particularly since they've pivoted transfer strategies in the last couple of years. And some people won't give them credit for that. But we'll pile on if anything happens that they perceive to be a problem. Now, look, I'll declare my bias. I love how Arteta, Edu and the lot have rebuilt this squad in the last couple of years. You know, they've done it in effectively two seasons from when Arsenal pivoted strategy. Look at the football we're playing. I still remember lockdown football. I still remember the football in the last days of Wenger. I still remember how bad this squad was, how imbalanced it was, how ineffectual the attack was, how weak the midfield was, how porous the uh, the defence was. I remember all of that. It's seared into my brain because it happened for so long and we were worse than we thought. So seeing that change to this in the space of two years, I have to give them credit for that. And also, because of my day job, I understand the difficulties and complexities of organisational change. I understand how difficult it is to turn around an organisation that is in trouble to one that is successful. It is incredibly difficult. I cannot put it into words how hard it is to try and turn around an organisation that's failing one way or another and make it somewhere that people want to be and that they're happy and they're succeeding. It is so hard. The, the just the day-to-day conversations you have to have pe- have with people just managing some of the personalities you know some of the financial decisions you have to take you know people get mad about Arsenal paying players off some of the financial decisions you have to make when you want to turn an organization around people would not believe unless they've had to do it themselves so again I implore you take yourself out of football manager football fantasy mode and put yourself in the mode of an individual, of a person who has to walk into an organization, a massive, massive global brand, and you have to walk into a room full of 30 millionaires who have contracts longer than yours, who financially are more of a commitment than you to, you know, to, to the club. And you have to convince them to do everything you say, including the players who you're not picking, but you're trying to convince them to show up every day, work their butts off. Then you have to convince players who are living a comfortable life in London, shopping at Harrods, driving Lamborghinis, you have to convince them to leave, to go somewhere else where they're going to earn less money, less sponsorship deals. That's less money in the, in the pockets for them, for their family, for future generations. You have to convince them to leave. Not just that, you have to convince new players to join, but they've just seen you finish eighth and eighth. They've seen rank mediocrity. You've never done this job before. And you have to convince them to do that. All while in the middle of a COVID pandemic that nobody knows what the outcome of that's going to be. While your finances are tanked, while you're having to make 55 redundancies, while your executive structure has changed three times since you've been there. The difficulty of the job that they've done in the environment they've done it in cannot be overstated. So I give them credit for that. Don't get me wrong. If this summer goes wrong, questions have to be asked. Questions will be asked. And... That's the reality of it. But I do think we have to hold off and live in the real world just a little bit 
and not assume that, you know, just because Arsenal want Declan Rice, they should be able to get Declan Rice. This is not how we live in the real world, people. So if you're one of those people who had a bit of a freak out, fair enough. But I just implore you, just live in the real world just a little bit. You'll feel far less stressed if you do. But it remains to be seen. By the time I put this out, we might have an update on the Declan Rice situation and all of this might be moot. But that's just what I'm feeling in the moment as I record this. Next up, of course, is Kai Havertz. Latest news, Kai Havertz has effectively agreed. Arsenal and Chelsea have a principal agree, a, a, a deal agreed in principle for roughly around 65 million all in. Um, the idea is that the, the medical could take place over the weekend, potentially abroad, with a view to having the transfer finalised and announced next week. This is a obviously brilliant player who has been in very poor form. We know that Arteta has the ability to bring out talent in players who have been underperforming. We've seen an, an, an incredible number of players play above the level that people thought possible for them. Ramsdale, Ben White, Gabriel, Partey. All of these players are players who've done better than people thought they would, right? Saka's improved, Martinelli's improved, Erdegaard's lining up, Granit Xhaka, Reese Nelson, all players who've done better than people thought they would, playing under Mikel Arteta. That's before we get to the players who have openly and publicly said how Arteta helped them over at Man City, players like Raheem Sterling, for example. So it's for Mikel Arteta to do that with Kai Havertz, to make Kai Havertz the player that we all thought he could be back when he was a Bayer Leverkusen. This is what Arteta does. He makes players better. But he has to do that here. Not all of his, you know, not all of his attempts have been have been hits, let's face it. Some players he's just not been able to get the best out of them. And he's got to ask himself questions as to why that is. He talks about it all the time and says he asks himself these questions constantly. Whether you believe him or not, that's up to you. But this is something he has to do with this player. If you are dropping £65 million on a Kai Havertz that has been at best up and down for the last few years, you have to, have to get the best out of him. Now, Kai Havertz will be a rotational option. Sometimes he'll be in the starting eleven. sometimes he'll be on the bench. We can't see him as a player being signed to be on the bench so much as we need rotational options so that when we go to the bench, our level doesn't drop. And so we have to stop thinking about starting 11 and squad plays and start thinking about starting 11 and rotational options. And those rotational options are players who can come in the starting level and maintain the level so that we're not going from starting 11s to backups. We're just going, for, we, we just have alternative starting 11s. And that's, that's the approach to having players like Kai Havertz. So if we are to bring Kai Havertz in and all the reporting right now suggests that this is a deal that's going to happen, you know, we'll have our typical starting 11, assuming everything stays the same, right? So forget all the Chaka, Partey, Declan Rice, Lavia, forget all of that. Let's assume we have our typical starting 11 in place. The one we know and love from last season, right? So let's say you've got that starting 11. It means you'll also have Trossard, who did really well when he came in last year. Havertz, who, like we said, the hope is uh, Arteta can get him bowling like the player he was supposed to become when we saw him playing at, at Leverkusen. So that's 13 already. 
then you've got Smith Rowe, who we're hoping can come back after his surgery, after a recovery, after the the break in the preseason, and be the player that we remember him being. Jorginho, a player who, you know, I certainly admit I had my doubts about who, you know, performed really well at the end of the season, and we're hoping can come in and maintain that level, right? Suddenly that's 12, 13, 14, 15 already. And that's not including other players we might buy. That's not including the likes of TNE, who's there, or Timber, who could come in. You know, Tommy Asu, if he can stay fit, we know the job he can do. You know, players like Eddie, Balogun, because either one of them could stay. So we'll have options. But the reality is we need to up both the ceiling of what this team could become and the basement, you know, the minimum level that this team performs to. And the performances of players like Vieira, Lokonga before he went on loan, you know, those players coming in, Cedric before he went on loan, the the performances of certain players coming in just dropped the level too far. And we can't have that. So I'm all for a player like Havertz coming in if Arteta can make him the player he should have been. Now, we have a very checkered history with transfers from Chelsea. And I know people talk about the most recent, but this goes back further. You know, this goes back to the sort of swap deal Gallus and Ashley Cole. They got Ashley Cole, one of the greatest left backs of all time, one of the greatest left backs England has ever produced. And we got Gallus, who at one point was a sensational defender, but turned into a parody of himself, parody of himself. Louise, who, depending on who you speak to, was either a success who is criminally underrated or a player who was over the hill and just made significant errors contributing to you know multiple mid-table finishes Willian who let's face it none of us ever 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 want to speak about again we all want to forget that transfer even happened and we are just lucky that he agreed to leave after a year all of these transfers meanwhile Chelsea as we said got the likes of Ashley Cole they got Fabregas when we decided not to buy him you know they've been able to offload players like Petacek when he was over the hill but they've been able to take from us and go on to win major trophies doing it. They went on to win leagues while we entered the banter era. So we have a uncomfortable history when it comes to Chelsea in, in the modern era. Arteta and Edu have built a squad that's close to winning the league. So you have to give them some trust at this point. I did not you know, understand why we'd spend that money on Ramsdale. And then in the first game, I saw him just ping an absolute sideways to pass straight from his hands into our attack and then i was like ah i get it i did not know why we were paying 50 million pounds for benjamin white and then i was there i think it was a game against chelsea emirates cup ball long ball coming up towards the defense and i think ben white jumped won the header came down calmly ball got played out and i thought yep he's fine he is a player we are not gonna have to worry about he is fine just the quality of his play was obvious, right? There are, you know, plays like Tommy Asu, you know, Sky Sports, the whole thing, don't know what position he plays, blah, 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 came into the side and it's like, yup, yup, I can see this instantly, you know, until the injury, potential for player of the season in his first season, been unlucky with injuries since, but if he can stay fit, absolute player, had Salah on lock. I could go on. We have to give this executive team the benefit of the doubt. They know things we don't. Can We have to accept that to some degree. Now, that doesn't mean that they always get everything right. And that doesn't mean we can't see certain things. You know, like all of you, 
you know, I've been watching football long enough. There are some things that jump off, you know, jump off the table, jump off the screen, jump off the page. There are some things that are just incredibly obvious. It's obvious the 72 million pounds for Nicola Pepe was too much. Obvious. It's obvious that Runison was not a quality goalkeeper. Obvious. Pablo and Marie made no sense. Obvious. Cedric, bad signing. Obvious. There are some transfers that are just obviously not good. And then there are some moves that you may not get, but they do. Um, so it, it comes down to what they see in Havertz, really. And Havertz would have spoken to Arteta and they will have a plan. So the question is whether that plan will work. And this is where I'm interested to see Arteta do what he does. Now, if Shaka were to leave, which looks increasingly likely, you know, we'd be losing goals and assists from our starting eleven, And we're, we're signing a player who is not prolific. This is a player who very much underperforms XG. And we already have a number nine that underperforms XG. So that's not through. But he is a player who can score goals. Not as many as he should. Not as many as we'd want. But he can. He could also get assists. Not as many as he should. Not as many as we'd want. But he can. So can Arteta take that player and make that player a player who can score the kind of goals and get the kind of assists that we need? That challenge was put to Martin Odegaard last season and he did it. That was put to Shaka last season and he did it. So will that be put to Havertz and can he do it? Now, this isn't a player I would have ever predicted that we would have made a move for. When I first heard the news, I audibly gasped. Like I genuinely did not think this was a thing we would do. And I've slowly kind of been talking myself into it, but I kind of flip-flop, you know. Sometimes I watch clips of him and I've seen games of him and I see someone who's easily knocked off the ball, the touch is a bit lazy, he's a bit ineffectual, it's that sort of typical number 10 second striker, mercurial player who just looks a little lackadaisical and doesn't always look engaged with the pace of the game that they're in. And then there are other times where I see just his touch is immaculate. He's holding up the ball well. He's riding challenges. You know, he's knocking players off the ball to win it. His defensive actions are good. His pressing is good. You know, he shows incredible movement, late runs into the box, you know, gets on the end of the headers. And you say to yourself, this is a player. And I just can't really figure out which one we're going to get. And if his previous form's anything to go by, we're probably going to get a bit of both. I mean... That is the likelihood here, right? Is that we're going to get a Kai Havertz who sometimes is incredible and sometimes we're wondering where he's gone. It's Arteta's job if he's committed this money to this player to make it more the former and less the latter. So we'll just have to see what happens there. We also have news about Thomas Partey, reports of you know concrete interest um, in Partey from clubs in Saudi Arabia, from Juve for a reported fee of 17 to 20 mil, though their exact structure is a complete mess. So who knows what's going to happen there? You know, we currently have Partey, Shaka, Jorginho and Elneny, but, you know, for me, Elneny, we gave him the contract so he can recover in peace and not have to worry about his his contract or, you know, his career or anything like that. We, we did that as, a, I don't want to say a favour, but as essentially as a favour to him. So I'm not really counting Elneny, but ultimately, while they're contracted to the club and while they can play, they're a consideration. So right now, Party, Shaka, Jorginho, Elneny. Now, we obviously don't know what's going to happen with the Declan Rice deal or Lavia or anything like that, but if Partey and Shaka were to go, we will need more than just Declan Rice, who, as we say at this stage, we don't even know if he will sign. 
also, you know, we know that Arsenal like Lavia, but so do a lot of clubs. Um, and there's no sign yet that that transfer is particularly imminent. Um, I personally don't think Arsenal will lose Partey and Shaka, and you know, not get Rice plus one more, you know, or a Rice type. Shaka can only go if we get a mid replacement. That's the reporting. So who is that replacement? Is it Kai Havertz? Is Kai Havertz kind of be like eight, nine and a half type vibe? And are we going to kind of adjust the system so Havertz can play with Jesus and Odegaard? We'll find out because if the Havertz deal gets done next next week, like, you know, is is expected and then Shaq is off to Leverkusen by the end of that week, then we know what the situation is in terms of where Kai Havertz is, is expected to play. Equally though, if, um, you know, we sign Havertz and Arsenal still won't let Shaka go, we know Havertz isn't that sort of quote-unquote left-eight midfielder. So we're going to find out. It's tricky to lose both Shaka and Partey in one window. That would be a massive structural change. And it may take a whole season for new parties to learn the system. Um, new players to learn the system, sorry. You know, Tom Yassi spoke last season in an interview saying the difference between 21-22 and 22-23 was that players finally understood what Arteta wanted. We have a midfield with three senior players, all 30 and over. Look at Liverpool. Rebuild required. Suspect the situation with party is the reason for sort of this quicker rebuild. Shaka wants to leave after seven years, so we're agreeing to it. Um, we don't want to see a repeat of the situation with Kashani, where a senior player who has given their all for the club decides to just basically down tools because, you know, a promise was broken. I think the reality is the probably the situation is we have two players turning 30 or over 30 who we're not going to renew them for a new contract. We can get money for them now. So however imperfect the potential bids might be, it's money we can use towards, you know, other transfer business that we need to do. So it remains to be seen. But for me, even though Partey is a player who I'd be willing to let go for multiple reasons, I just feel as though the club won't let him go unless there is a incredibly talented alternative that is brought in. We also have news about Jury and Timber. Appears Arsenal have agreed personal terms. Now it's just a case for Ajax and Arsenal to agree a fee. If a fee does get agreed, I'm thinking it's going to end up being between 35 to 45 mil. He looks like an incredibly te technical right centre-back, something that I think we all assumed Arsenal would be looking for. Um, he's likely to sit on the right defense, in the right defensive half space, and when we're on the defence, he's the guy who goes hunting. Right, He's the guy, front foot steps forward um, to go hunting for the ball, and we have the likes of White, Gabriel, Saliba, whoever, on the cover. He also looks like a player who can receive the ball from the goalkeeper and you know beat the press to help us transition through the thirds. So, you know, there's been a few times this season where the press has been too aggressive and Ramsdale's just had to go long and we haven't had the high upfield to hold the ball. So maybe with Kai Havertz coming in, Ramsdale can now go long and we can hold the ball up. But having a better ability to beat the press allows for better build-up. It commits players forward and it means if you get past that press, you have free and open space to run at. And with players like Martinelli, Jesus, Havertz, Saka, we can expose that but we need to be able to beat that press. We need, we saw what Man City did to us um, in the away match in the league last season. Drew us in, went long. De Bruyne and Haaland ruined us, savaged us. So we need to be able to do the same. 
I still would like a bit more pace in the final third. I'd love sort of a really pacey wide forward, but it looks like we're signing up um, Reese Nelson to a new contract. So it looks like we're giving him the shot to be that guy. And there is a degree to which it makes sense. You know, obviously talented player, big potential, not really fulfilled. It's starting to come into it. Has a little bit of pace, not electrifying pace, but pace nonetheless. If he can deliver, then we have that player. If not, then we sign him up for a couple of years and sell him for a profit in a couple of years. So we'll we'll see. But Durian Timber's one that I'm excited about. I really hope it's one we get done. We can see, you know, um, Martinez, who went to United. At the time, I didn't really get the idea that he plays centre-back for us. Um, didn't really understand the concept of playing left-back at the time, but then we saw what Zinchenko did and it suddenly made sense why we'd want a Martinez. Martinez, you know, far more aggressive, but would have done the Zinchenko role just slightly differently. Um, certainly, maybe, I don't think would have been anywhere near as... Um, anywhere near as mercurial in the attacking sense, but certainly would have provided us options in terms of defence and build-up um, in the defensive half. But Durian Timber gives us that on the right side, so we can go Zinchenko on the left or t- uh, Timber on the right. So remains to be seen what happens there, but I hope that's one we can get done. And then, of course, there's a situation with uh, following Balogun, reporting from Ornstein, suggesting he's a player who's going to get sold in the summer, contract runs out 2025, no intention of signing a new deal, doesn't want to go out on loan again. He wants to be a first choice somewhere and ideally at Arsenal. Now, this is the important distinction. He wants to be first choice somewhere. Now, does that mean first choice in the sense of part of the uh, uh, essential part of the first team, getting regular minutes? Or does that mean first name on the team sheet number nine? Because he's not going to be first first name on the team sheet number nine at Arsenal. That's not going to happen, which is probably why Sale is most likely. But... If he comes back for preseason, him and Eddie in a straight shootout for that spot, and he does better than Eddie, and there's interest in Eddie, we could see Eddie sold, Balogun stay, and he is another option. And that would be great. Now, I do think some of the discussion around Eddie is unfair. I think if you took Eddie and you put him in league and he is a player who could bat 15 to 20 goals, 100%. In the right, as long as he's in the right team, with the right setup, with the right sort of... Um, right feed like Balogun was Balogun was in the right team right set up he played the right kind of football for him and he was able to to exploit it Eddie could do the same I have no doubt about that and I do think that if you sent Eddie on loan and Balogun stayed and Balogun got the limited chances that Eddie got we would be in the same situation we'd have a player who went abroad scored a bunch of goals a player who stayed didn't score as many and we would have been saying get the other guy in and sell the other one I do think there's a degree to which Eddie is unfairly done by. But what I will say is, Eddie's a player who scores more goals when he gets a run of games as a starting striker. And he's not our starting striker. So if he doesn't get that many goals off the bench, we should probably sell him and get a striker who can score goals off the bench. And don't get me wrong, Eddie uh, Eddie scored some big goals off the bench. You know, his debut, he scored two off the bench against Norwich in the cup. So it's not that he can't, but... He's not necessarily the super stub who you bring on to get a goal, even though he is a bit of a poacher. Now, some of that is game state. You know, a lot of time Eddie comes on, we're winning, and his job is to help us, you know, retain our lead. It's We haven't been behind going into the final 10 minutes of a game much. There was a sort of brief period towards the end of last season, um, but not often, you know, in the grand scheme of things since he's been a regular first-team player. Um, so... 
realistically, the amount of chances he would have to go out there and just go looking for a goal, not many. But I do think we probably do need to look at whether or not he's suited to the role he has for us right now. And with Balogun, he might not be, but we don't know because he's not been given a shot. So that's where preseason is important. I think we'll get a better sense. Arteta will get a closer look at these two players and he'll see who he needs. Um, my hope is that both of them come back for preseason. We Arteta gets a look at both of them. And so if he makes a choice, he'll make an informed choice based on what both players can do and what they do in front of him. Both will be motivated. They have the same agent. They play the same position. They're only a couple of years apart. I think they're maybe two, two or three years apart. Both of them want more game time. Both of them want more football and both of them want to play for the Arsenal. It's a win-win. Whoever gets sold, we insert a buyback or a sell-on. You know, we get decent money and we move. You know, both of them could make good money if they went to the Premier League. Both of them could make good money if they went abroad. So it's just about which one's better. What I don't want, though, is for one player to automatically get the shot and the other ones get sold without seeing what they both can do. It would be a shame if Balogun got sold before preseason. You know, I really want him to come back and see what he can do because it might just be that we listen to offers fairly. And there has been a little bit of reporting that, you know, we'd be willing to. And I believe that because pretty much every player has a number. There are very few players in this world who you just would not sell for any number, right? Every player has a number. So if someone came in and said 25 million, 30 million for Eddie, that's hard to say no. If someone turned around and said 35 million for Balogun, it's hard to say no, particularly at this situation. So it remains to be seen. Um, we didn't take the money for Maitland-Niles. We re-signed Eddie. We're re-signing Nelson. We sold Iwobi. We sold Willock. We kept Saka. There are, it's all about timing. If Balogun had done what he did and then came back to us from loan two seasons ago, he'd walk in as our starting striker. He'd walk in, but he didn't because timing. So we're not in a place where we can guarantee him the starting spot as Arsenal starting number nine. We're not there yet. Two years ago, we probably could have, but not now. So it's ultimately what I hope uh, will be the case that they both come in straight fight, shoot out in, in training pre-season, see who the better player is face-to-face up against one another. And then whoever's the better player we keep and the other one we sell fingers crossed. But anyway, that's it for me, people. Thank you very much for listening to me. Just go on. As I said, by the time I'm done, new news has come out and all of this is probably redundant, but isn't that just the way of the transfer market? Please do get in touch, like, subscribe, comment, repost, retweet. If you've got any questions, put them in the chat. Let me know what your questions are. I'll get around to them for sure. Otherwise, enjoy yourselves, people. Enjoy this wacky period, silly season transfer window that we've got. We've got another few weeks of it at least. Try to keep your head. And if it all gets too much, put the phone down, go for a walk, engage in real life, talk to your friends, connect with your loved ones. Remember that there is a world outside football. It's just not as fun. That's it for me, people. It's your boy, Caesar. You know where to find me at C-Says, C-E-A-S-E-S-A-W-Y-S. You know where to find us at the Highbury Club. In a bit, people. In a bit. Gabriel Martinez!